Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100, and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly View system, Dion. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. Welcome back to another episode of the AI Writers Podcast. I'm your co-host Leanne and joining me as ever is Tom. It's been a busy week of Brexit, but this is your hour to get away from Brexit. Tom, please don't mention it now, I've said that. How are you? I wouldn't. There is so much Liverpool-related content to talk about. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's good to be back. Yeah, definitely. And, and joining us today is Carl, who I have to say is a veteran. No. He's very good at his job. He was just telling us before we started how many podcasts he's done because he is a veteran. Um, Carl, how are you? I'm 52% fine. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, 40, 48% not fine. <laughs> but well, I, I'm, no, I'm no deal when it comes to veteran talk. That political talk didn't last very long, did it? Yeah. Um, but joining us as well is Alex. Alex, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Leanne. The thing about veterans is they don't like being called veterans until it gets to the stage where they are undoubtedly veterans, and then <laughs> all of a sudden they're already retired. So, my favourite Liverpool writer is 60 this year. Can I just say that? Who's your favourite Liverpool writer? Steve Kelly, okay. the former um, editor it. of uh, Through the Wind and Rain. He was my former editor back in, well, back 60, in the old days. He's, he's, he's not well, too bad for a writer, and it's 10 years older than me. So that makes you get the game away there. Not me. (laughs) Right. Well, we'll get we'll get cracking with a topic that's kind of split opinions. Um, It is Philippe Coutinho, and obviously there's been a lot of talk given he's a a miserable sod in Barcelona at the moment, which is kind of retribution for the way he left Liverpool. I guess some people would say, Um, but a lot of people, you know, have been saying this is a player who has undoubted quality. If he wants to, you know, come back to Liverpool, some people would open him, uh, would welcome him with open arms. Some people wouldn't. So <laughs> some people would open him up. Some people definitely open him up. See, I'm not a veteran. I, I, I make mistakes. Um, but Carl, what's, what's kind of your thoughts on it and, and Coutinho as a whole? Is he someone who's kind of scorned us once, and, and we'd be kind of an idiot? You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It would it be that kind of situation, or is it a player who? You know, he's got so much quality that you never really say no to him. Well, I, I wrote a piece about this, and I tried to make it as balanced as possible. My, my initial stance on all things Liverpool is, I don't like it when people mess about with Liverpool. Um, 
and Philip Coutinho messed Liverpool about massively, by which I mean he messed me about because when Liverpool have a great player, and you can say, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be into this anymore because I got burned by Torres or um, for very older people, Kevin Keegan, for example. Um, but, you know, yeah, you can't take them seriously. You can't worship them as idols because, you know, they, ultimately it's just a job to them. Um, but you, you always get emotionally involved with your players. And Coutinho did pretty much everything wrong when he left. I mean, this is the fake back injury. Um, the, the worst one for me was the fact that he asked for a, a transfer request the day before we played Watford first game of the season. That is absolutely unforgivable for me. You do not have the right to mess Liverpool about. Liverpool is bigger than you. And therefore, if you don't think you're big in Liverpool, which is fine, it's a valid approach to take. But basically, you do not deserve the kindness um, that we've shown you in the past if you want to do things like that. The other side of that, uh, which I mentioned in the article, is what if he scores the goal against Wolves that wins, the, that wins us the league? And that's the problem I've got. The problem I've got is that this is hindsight. Coutinho is a fantastic player. He's no Divock Origi. He's no Adam Lallana. We know that. But at the same time, I don't want Liverpool to be nice about things like this. I don't want Liverpool to be nice because poor little Philippe's got a problem. This isn't the same as Robbie Fowler going and coming back or, or Ian Rush going and coming back. This was a man who basically just looked at our support and went, nah, I'm going. This is my dream move. And it's not Liverpool's job to facilitate an easy move because it didn't quite turn out the way he wanted to. Tough. I don't think he's going to come to us anyway, to be honest. But I just think it's an interesting argument because, again... Part of me just think, just imagine we get a free kick in the last minute. We need a goal, and he's going to be brilliant at mm. that because he's because he's. Uh, I was I was watching his um his goal against Arsenal in the opening game a few years ago, and it, it it should be illegal. It was that good. It was such a magnificent strike, and he just did it time and again. So you've always I'm, I'm thinking about this with two brains really. One is the sort of don't mess about with my club. You're not allowed to do that. But the other side, I'm thinking, but but what if? Sometimes yeah. you sometimes you forgive players and. Um, even if you'd never ever forgive them, you'll forgive them that moment. Um, Andrea Desaia saying that, as I, I often quote him as a perfect example. He's one of the worst footballers I've ever seen, and yet <laughs> he had two. He gave me two of the finest moments that he'll always have a special place in my heart for that. The goals against Madrid and against um, against United. So it's it's an awkward one to to assess really. The only downside of it is that I think there's absolutely no chance he's going to come back to us anyway. I also don't think he's going to go to United. I think that's scaremongering. But um, just the last thing they need is a left-sided forward for a start. Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting one though because I guess just to play devil's advocate, um, Alex, would, could you argue that you know Coutinho, okay, the way he left and the manner he left, the things he said before he left as well, thinking you know um, about the time he said, "Oh, I'm going to win trophies at Liverpool." Liverpool want to be. He just signed a new contract and then he you know then left. Could you potentially say, you know, that was at a time where Liverpool were considered a stepping stone for a lot of players of his quality, whereas now, you know, we went, we got all the way to Kiev. We're having a very, very good season uh, this campaign, and you know, the likes of Mo Salah, potentially people who could have come under that bracket of, well, are they going to use Liverpool as a stepping stone now? Actually, Liverpool is the destination for these top players. Could you potentially say that's, you know, in the thinking for Coutinho, or am I being too nice to him? No, yeah, I think you're right, undoubtedly. The only issue I have with it is uh, we were top of the league at points when Coutinho left the season. Coutinho left in the season before. And 
it's not necessarily that we were a stepping stone when he left. It was that we had been a stepping stone for all the time he was here, a stepping stone that relied on him and Raheem Sterling far too much, especially under the later kind of tenure of Rogers. Uh, and then the early part under Klopp, I don't think he necessarily fit the, what we wanted to do all that well, which was always a, a really interesting kind of clash of styles and, and kind of an adaptation for him to fit into that left-hand side. And there was that, that run of 10, 12 games where the front four seemed to just sparkle and seemed to just score goals for absolute the absolute joy of it. Um, but, yeah, you've got to ask the question about whether he would walk back into what is now a title-winning side in the same way that he left because it was a stepping stone. He also left because he knew he was guaranteed a start and he was guaranteed a space in this team. Uh, and you've got to ask the question now about now that we are there, now that Coutinho has left while we were on, while we were on the way up, while we are on the ascendancy towards basically the top of English football, now that we are there, would we be buying him to be the perfect fit or are we just buying him because we know what the quantity, what his quantity is? We know how much of a good player he could be and can be when he's in red and we've seen him light up the sky for us and and there was a piece of Carl kind of one part of the introduction that in Carl's article that was really striking to me because he mentioned and Carl mentioned Torres there and um it, it's a difficult everyone's a hypocrite especially in football because I love Fernando Torres and I will always love Fernando Torres because he's basically my hero and he's the one that got me into football and he's the one that first made me feel these incredible emotions um, and that's why when he left I was devastated but when he came back for that that Gerard testimonial that game in Anfield it was like there was just a complete cleansing of the palate and everything just wiped away because my hero was back and my hero was saying nice things again and my hero wasn't playing for Chelsea. If Filippo Coutinho came back, you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the same emotional connection. So obviously the hypocritical side of me is like, yeah, no, it doesn't matter, screw it. Uh, but there may well be a kid who's 12 years old who two years ago, or who, who's, who was 12 years old when Filippo Coutinho was banging them in, banging free kicks, and this 14, 15-year-old kid just wants to see his favourite player back in a Liverpool shirt again. And you can't deny the fact that football is about the intangible, hypocritical little things, the things that make us all go, yeah, well, I can't explain that, but this is what it is. Uh, but then obviously the logistical side of things. Um, as Carl said in that piece, and the, the, the striking bit is, is he more uh, Fernando Torres or is he more El Hadjou? Because there was a pact that, Felipe Coutinho would make Carl jump up and down when he scored one of those belters. And in return, Carl would give him undying support and love. And Coutinho broke that pact. So how easy is it to forgive? How easy is it to just reconcile the fact that, uh, yeah, this guy left and now he's having a tough time with his new partner and the ex is starting to look for goods. It's, it's a difficult quantity. It's, it's Again, it's hard to say everyone's hypocritical when talking about this sort of thing. I just also think stylistically, it's not necessarily as much of a fit with us anymore as maybe it once was because we're not as desperate as we once were. I, th- I think it's slightly different with Torres because everyone knew Torres went for a reason. He was definitely made promises that we couldn't keep. And, you know, you see him on the pitch and you just think, you are not happy. Um, things are going... I mean, 
the last game he played, I think he was playing it against Jovanovic, with Jovanovic and Joe Cole. And you're thinking, oh, how has this come to this? You know, from 2009 to that. Um, so, I, I mean, obviously this point that he chose to go to that club, but I, if he would have gone to Madrid, um, Atleti, back to Atleti, no problem at all. But I think the problem with Coutinho is, he, he's, it's just the same with Michael Owen. It's just the way he just dragged it out and dragged it out and, you know, basically went on strike and not, not physically went on strike, but he just did the old, oh, yeah, I've got a knock, honestly. Um, the back injury, the mysterious yeah, back injury. Yeah, but suddenly he was fit again for Brazil. You know, it's it's um, it. Yeah. But you can't mess around with Liverpool. Put, you can't do put that. Put it this way. Put it this way. We like we we love it when it happens to us because Virgil like is moving up in the world. Navigator is moving up in the world. To Phil Coutinho, there is nothing more prized and nothing more covered than moving to Barcelona. Yeah, because he is that. That's the it, like not even just from a football level, but from a socio, the so kind of socio-economic, social status level. To move to Barcelona for him and his family is the sign of right. Guess what, family? I made it, and I can only imagine it must be killing inside to not be succeeding at this massive club that's spent. He's the third most expensive player in the world. That doesn't get, that also doesn't get rare enough. He was yeah. never, nor should he be the third most expensive player in the world. <laughs> it was a set of circumstances that led to us getting the most favourable deal for him, us extorting Barcelona for him, and that was that was good, which meant the sale wasn't that bad, which is probably, again, more a reason why we can be like, we can have this discussion. If we sold him for $60 million to Barcelona, and they were, the rumours selling us back to him for $20 million more. And, or or £8 million pound plus Antonio Nunes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Let's not go. Yeah, it's of the That hurt even more. I mean, not, as yeah. I said in the article, it's not my money. I don't get to spend it, so it's not really my fault. When Michael Owen for eight million pounds plus Antonio Nunes, you yeah. start to think, how do you ever think we're going to be nice to you? Obviously, we made him bloody club ambassador, which still maddens yeah. me to this day. <laughs> the, but, the uh, only... do, you to, do you want to shit on us, Michael? In that case, we'll give you a nice reward later on. <laughs> the only thing I would ask, I'll um point this on to you Carl before I ask Alex a question in the you know the Barca sense how I, you, you know you kind of touched on it but I guess you're saying that you don't like it when players you know leave and use Liverpool as that stepping stone and they kind of hurt the club or think that they're maybe bigger than the club and that they deserve better and I, I completely agree with that but I have to say I am kind of with Alex I'm a bit of a hypocrite because when it comes to Firmino's, uh, not Firmino's departure. Now I'm pre- trying to predict the future, which I hope never, ever happens. Don't, um, you <laughs> don't say it, don't think it, I said don't. it, I hope it doesn't Talk happen. Talk about it. <laughs> Frantically touching wood. Um, no, when, when Coutinho left, I was obviously, you know, very frustrated in the manner he left. Players like Sterling as well, which a lot of fans, or a lot of, um, you know, people who can forget the past will have forgotten about Sterling's departure now, which is a good thing. But the only thing I would say is when it comes to players like Fernando Torres, when he left, it, it was, you know, really, really... I was actually really upset. I really, really liked Torres and I would have taken him back um, despite, you know, all the, the controversy of the Chelsea move. Do, does your feelings on Coutinho and the fact that he kind of hurt the club, is that resonating throughout all of these previous high-profile departures as well? Or are you kind of saying that it's just Coutinho? No, because his because his move was selfish, where Torres's wasn't, and he engineered the move, and that's what I, I mean. That's the biggest thing for me. He engineered it. He basically put Liverpool as number two in his list of priorities of clubs he wanted to play for, and 
Um, although, you know, if he does come back and score the league goal, score the goal that wins us the league, I will be leaping all over the place and be denying everything. And I will delete the internet in case someone hears me <laughs> say this, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I just keep thinking, you wanted your dream move, mate. Fine, you're not on my business now. And I still sort of feel that, to be honest. Um, mostly because I'm fairly sure he won't be coming back anyway. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's different ways, really. I mean, there is a little bit of a knock-on. I mean, I mean, I, I know people who are old enough to remember Kevin Keegan leaving to go to Hamburg. Let's just leave it there, shall we, Leanne? And um, and that it does hurt, and you know there is a knock-on effect. And when when you're now in a position where I mean, I mean to be honest, if if we were this was 2015, and I said you want Coutinho back in Bread and Rogers last season, then I am just you know what, knock it on there, just just do it, just get him back. We've we've got the best midfielder in the we've got the best centre back in the world, literally the world. So you know, um, it's it's changed for us as well. You can get to be a bit of a hypocrite now because there's an argument we don't need him, and you know, there's it's um, it, it, it's it's we're a different Liverpool. We're a different Liverpool, so we get to be a bit mm. more more braver. And, I... um, uh, whereas, I mean, I, that would be my default position. Did you mess us around? Yeah, then. Fine, enjoy enjoy the bench. Have a lovely time out there. You're getting paid a fortune, and you've already used the term dream move, which he did. So there's your dream move. You can't have dream move number two because that stops being the dream move, doesn't it? This is what you wanted, mate. This is exactly yeah. what you wanted. Um, I think. Exactly. I think. And, and also, there's an arrogance. Like, what do you think? Who was he going to? Who was he going to usurp in that team? Dembele apparently was his thought. I mean, I think it's interesting because you know we've we've had almost to an extent this little microcosm of this conversation before even when he left. Like, um, you know, there was that, it's worth, you know, it's worth remembering he didn't leave the summer he kicked up the stink. You know, he had those, had those three, four months when we kind of had to sort of come to a compromise between, between do you mean him. When he, do you mean when he faked that back injury? Well, after the, yeah, after the, <laughs> after, 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 after Watford, right? yeah. Yeah. It took him, four, it took him four, four or five months to go. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there was that period of sort of four months where he was playing regularly for us and he was banging in quality goals every other week. Yeah, he was, he was yeah. Got to give him credit and, for that. Yeah, and you've got sort of in your head, you've kind of got a... We kind of had to balance, you know, how much do I hate this prick for the fact that he's leaving us the way he's going to leave us? And we knew he was leaving by then. It was just a case of when, not if. And, you know, hating that prick for what he's done to force his way and for disrupting them, you know. And I, I said, you know, I said at the time, you know, we could have been, no- we could have been knocked out of the Champions League because of him, you know. He, he put himself in a situation where right before a crucial Champions League match, he was refusing to, not only refusing to play, but he was actively disrupting the dressing room. And I couldn't forgive him for that. But then equally, he's going to, you know, banging in four or five goals in the Champions League group stage. And it's like, you know, how do you square those two in your head? Because obviously, you know, it's not a rational thing. It's not about reason. It is entirely about how you, your own personal emotions come into it. And I, I, you know, I think it's a difficult one to sort of square. And it's going to be a similar situation if, if I mean, as Costas, I don't think it's going to happen. If he does come back, is that is that squaring of you know, how do you feel about this player versus the job they do for the team? And I'm inclined to sort of lean towards uh, you can't, you could have had, you could have, you could have had something special here, and that's gone. You know, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to get back the magic that you had. You're not going to be able to make supporters feel the same way about you. But what you can do is you can partially redeem yourself by demonstrating the reasons that we wanted to keep you in the first place. But obviously, you know, it, it's all water under the bridge, probably. I, I, it's easier for us to say now, as you say, Carl, it's easier for us to go, you know, when you, you've got your dream move, you can sit in it and you can wallow in it. 
And if it's turned to shit, that's entirely your fault. You've got no one else to blame but yourself. Well, also, it's a precedent as well. So basically, what happens if he comes back, we pay £18 million on him, he comes back again, Neymar goes to Madrid, and suddenly there's, there's a space at PSG. And they're, they're well off to pay yeah, 400 yeah. grand a week. I mean, yeah. how, many dream, how many dream moves do you want? Will that not be probably what, what a lot of fans are, are hoping they're overpaid cash cows end up doing PSG mm-hmm. things like the out for Mesut Ozil as well. Uh, and there's talk that they might even re-sign Julian Draxler as well. So they don't, they don't, we don't. In terms of posturing, and I, I expect this is what the next question was going to be, Leanne. Sorry if I'm prompting you, but sure. in terms of posturing, uh, Philippe Akitania's position at Barcelona is rather untenable in that the fans are the most fickle, glor- oh, no, not the most glory hunting, that's their Spanish <laughs> rivals, but their most fickle, kind of difficult, just terrible to, to stomach fans in terms of they have been spoiled by Pep Guardiola and the best team of a generation. And now that anything goes wrong and all of a sudden everything is crisis mode. It's like they haven't, it's like they can't endure being second, uh, which is kind of endemic of Barcelona as a club, in that they will do anything to try and regain their foothold and, uh, as the most dominant team in Europe. It's a foothold that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and that was basically what we saw with the pursuit of Coutinho. They were relentless and they were diabolical. And Carl mentions in his article, that whole mess club thing is just totally... Yeah, they've really gone the other way on that because they, they, they were a team where you'd hold them up to the world and say, that's what a club should be. You know, the, the, the fact that you know the, the fans have such a say in what they do um, the fact that they, I really like the fact that I didn't have a shirt sponsor and then they changed it for a charity. So, you know, you can, you, um, I work in charity, so I've got to say, you know, that's fine. But suddenly it's everyone. And then suddenly they start doing the, the Real Madrid stuff and, you know, yeah. announcing players and basically just saying, yeah, we're buying you now, mate, without even talking to the club. And then. Uh, it wasn't even just Coutinho. They did it with, they've done it with everyone. And that's, that's yeah. the systematic problem. Well, we've done it as well. So let's not, not kill ourselves. No, no, we absolutely have. But the yeah. whole, we are, we are a different club shtick was clearly. Yeah. The problem is, the problem is they used to be. I mean, yeah. the, the, the Crofia model of Barcelona is absolutely beautiful. And, uh, and I know there's a few Barcelona fans who don't like what they were the club have gone because, you know, the, it's just, they basically just turned into the New York Yankees. But this yeah, is this is the, this is the fan base that um, can't appreciate. Bear in mind, last year Barcelona was, lost one league game, and that was two games before the end of the season, and they were still calling for their manager to be sacked. Yeah, they lost yeah, literally, well, really. literally one league game, and they were calling for their manager to be sacked. Like, could you imagine the level of? Yeah, that's the thing. They will always hold. They will always hold everyone to a mantle that can't possibly ever be replicated, for good reason, because Pep Guardiola is the best coach of this generation, and the. You can't. They're stuck in the old, the old ways of. Well, we need everything to be revolutionary, but the constant, a constant state of revolution is not good for a club. Valverde no. is the most stable manager they can have right now, but he's not doing enough to actually tickle them and, and really satiate their desire for the most radical, outlandish, incredible thing. And that's why Barcelona as a club is always going to be, in my eyes, destined to drop off the cliff at some point because their their entire system, the way their their boards govern, the way they're constantly backstabbing each other, the way that managers aren't allowed to get peace of mind or freedom to develop anything because everything has to be done the Barcelona yeah, the whole way. presidential thing's weird, isn't it? They basically say, it's so I, I, I want I want to win. Okay, what do you want to do? I'll bring in the equivalent of Zidane. 
Okay, no, yeah. listen, well, what if you can't? <laughs> that was, oh, yeah, exactly. Because he said the word Zidane. Yeah, and the transfer strategy as well. They've just, they've just loaned that centre-back from Sevilla, third, third, uh, third choice centre-back. Because yeah. he's young and because he's going to develop, and then at the same time that they've been spending 140 million on Dembele and Coutinho, it's like the, there's this clash of the coach wants to do one thing, the sporting directors, well, it's not necessarily a sporting director, but the selection of sporting directors and, and stuff like that are, want to do their own thing, and the board intervene every three minutes, saying no, you have to do this, you have to do this, because I need to get re-elected. You take that and you trans and kind of translate that to. English clubs, and you just go, what? What is the situation here? What is the? And that's why I can sympathise with Coutinho for wanting to move to uh, further his ambition and his career and realise what is basically a dream for South American players. But yeah, I take absolutely. no, I take no kind of like sympathy. I have no, I have no sympathy for him in the fact that it's going wrong because yes, of course it went wrong. This is not a stable club. And that we shouldn't be targeting Phil Coutinho, to be, if I'm honest. If we were serious about a Barcelona player, then it should at be Osmano Dembele. At the same time, though, um, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think, you know, the, the next part of the conversation is kind of around a potential United move. Because as much as we're saying, you know, we don't feel sorry for him, you made your bed, sleep in it. This is still a quality player. And I'll keep coming back to that idea because, as Carl said, if he did return, and if he did score the goal to win us the title, all would be forgiven. And that's not me saying I want him back and I forgive him already. But I think it's a factor that you've got to kind of, you've got to realise that it exists. And when United are linked to his signature, when there's a potential move there, who knows if it, if it really has any, you know, legs. Um, but is that not a worry? You know, how bad would it be if he did hypothetically go to Manchester United? Because, Carl, he is a great player. I, I don't think he was. Because um, well, be, yeah, I mean, well, because to be honest, I don't think United are big risk. enough. United are not guaranteed Champions League football, so I don't why would he? Why would he go to United and not come back here? Other, than, other than, well, unless we, other unless we literally turned him down. Him. Yeah, as, yeah. I, as I say, unless we I'm, literally told him to fuck off. I'm not saying that there's, you know, that I think this move is going to happen. The the point being, how, City's how more what are the ramifications of him joining? Another Premier League team, let's put it that way, whether it be yeah, Manchester City, United, Chelsea, who knows? Yeah, he could join Huddersfield, he might like it there, he could join Brighton, who knows? Just imagine um, if he went to Huddersfield. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I'd like him if he went to Huddersfield. <laughs> but no, this is still a player who, you know, can make a difference on his day. So if he did come back to the Premier League because he's just fed up with Spain and it all going wrong and you know, he's he's clutching for a move back to the Premier League. Then what are the ramifications of that? Could it be a move that actually, yes, Klopp would be right to say, you know, um, continue, you're not coming back here, you're not welcome, you, you made your bed sleep in it. But actually, he could still have a huge role to play for another team. But I'm fine with it. Absolutely fine with it. So because because, so, because he'd do the same again. So what happens if Coutinho, if if going into the last game, it's all to play for, and Coutinho has joined Man City? And he scores the winning goal for Man City. Man City get the league. You gotta live with it. I mean, it's a bit. Don't underestimate the It happened with um, Frank Lampard, didn't it? Frank Lampard scored the score for Man City mm. against. Um, That's true. Against Chelsea, and pretty much ruined their. Title. Could not imagine a worse 
I just don't want to see him play. I don't really want to see him play for us, but it's one of those instances where you don't want to get back with your ex, but you don't want to see them with anyone else. And it's kind of feels yeah. that way with You just want them to Pino. retire. Just retire. You don't want them yeah, to be eventually. happy. Yeah. You don't want them to be happy, but you don't want you don't you, you, you don't, don't want them to be happy with you. So you understand yeah. that and you but you don't want them to be happy with anyone else because you're not happy with anyone else. Except the difference is now, we are happy with the moment. someone else. Yeah, yeah, we are. Quite perfect at the moment. So, he's not playing, and he's really, really yeah. annoyed. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. But at the same time, we're in a position now where we don't have to think about. If this was Sterling, the, the year after he went, I think it'd be more a case of right. We can't have any. No matter how, I know that lots of Liverpool fans do feel slightly begrudged by his move. I don't think uh, there's I, any I, way I don't to stand on. Look, look, think, at the, look at the side. Look at where we were. Yeah, yeah, look at where we were. And Rodgers most importantly, look at who he left. Rogers was just screwing him around contract-wise, and he leaked all the stuff to the press once Sterling asked rightly for more money. And Sterling, probably because his agent's a bit of a dodgy character, just went, look, I'm not having that. I'm off. Sell me. And to be fair, we got $50 million for him as well to Manchester City, which at the time was a good fee, and I don't think we can begrudge Sterling. I think... And to be fair, he did it before the season was even over as well. You know, he didn't. He didn't in. He didn't in June say I'm not leaving, and then in fucking August turn around and go. Actually, I yeah. want out, Soz. Yeah, exactly. And that was on the first game of the season at Watford. And to be fair to City, they had more class than Barcelona. They didn't engineer the move. It was more his agent. Um, I think the Sterling and Coutinho things are comparable in that. I would I would take Sterling back before I took Coutinho back. To be honest, because I think uh, all day, all day. I think. Sterling's A, a better player on this side, B, a better character, and C, it would be easier for fans to forgive Sterling than it would Coutinho, in mm. my opinion. It's an interesting one, because I, I would personally take back Raheem Sterling as well. I've, I said it on Twitter the other day, and I got a very strange reaction. I thought, you know, a lot of Liverpool fans would like to see him back, because he is a quality player. He's really, you know, kicked on for Man City, and as you say there, he's, he's perfect for this system. But a lot of people, they do have that hatred towards him and something that they're never really going to let go, whether it be because of, you know, the interviews he did before he'd really left or the, the engineering or the his agent. Yeah, I, I'm not, kid. yeah, I mean, that's the sad world we live in, unfortunately. But yeah, I think it's it's just the case where Coutinho, he's, he's a player who's probably not going to come back. I would agree with Carl on that. And if he does, I think there would be some fans who'd be delighted because of the quality of the player, but actually there would still be animosity over the way he left and the treatment of the club. And, and really, I don't think Klopp is the kind of manager who would take a player back having done that. Um, but we'll move on from there and we'll talk about Alex's article now, which is a really, really good article um, about kind of hope and, and this idea that Liverpool fans should be enjoying the season. Liverpool fans are right to enjoy the season. And actually, it's not the hope that kills you, you know, the, you know, the famous saying. Um, but actually, it's the fact that if you get into these instances where you you don't have any hope, you can't have any hope, there's no team are always losing, there's no belief in them, that's what kills you. And so it's actually refreshing and it's it's enjoyable to see a Liverpool team really, really spreading their wings, doing really well, having a lot of success this season, and we should be soaking it in. So, Alex, why don't you take it away and talk us through your thoughts on, on this season as a whole, really, and, and the optimism around the club. Yeah, well, uh, it stretches back to a conversation I had with um, a friend of mine a couple of months ago when uh, we'd just drawn one with Chelsea, we'd, we'd lost the Cup, 
Uh, things were going really well, but obviously City was still being heralded as the greatest team to have a team. Uh, and yeah, he basically said, oh yeah, it's uh, it's fun to be in a title race, isn't it? Until you realise it's the hope that kills you, and then it's uh, really nerve wracking. It's really it's awful and it's terrible, and you wish I you know I'd rather just be fighting for top four again. I'd rather just be in the Champions League. And I kind of thought about that and went, ah, it's an interesting point of view, but it's not really the hope that kills you, is it? Um, and I told, yeah, I basically said this, and, and then it also reared its head when there was talk of the FA Cup, and uh, I, my contention was that if we'd scored that equaliser against Wolverhead, that I would have thrown something at my TV because we just did not need that, and actively supporting, actively supporting my team. Uh, on that day against Wolves with that lineup we put out coincided with me actively wanting us to lose, which it isn't something a supporter ever should really be proud of, but at the same time, make no no apologies for that. Uh, and it coincided with a thought that I had, which was at the end of the Rogers tenure, the 6-1 happened uh, and everyone was deflated and everyone just went, look, this is the worst, this is terrible, this is shit. And there was points where myself and a lot of our fan base, especially kind of the younger fan base, who had only seen Liverpool in this mire, um, basically were rooting for us to lose so this guy would get sacked. And it was a very, very, very stark contrast of fortune. That's why, yeah, that's why us veterans are better, you see. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's always why I, we always have to listen to our more experienced... Absolutely. ...veteran elders. Uh, and... But yeah, it was a really stark contrast between me wanting us to lose when Brendan was in charge because just this egomaniac needed to go away and me wanting us to lose because I couldn't stomach the idea that we had to play the same amount of games in a compact month that Manchester City did and that any any advantage over this great, great, great heralded football team would be, like, I would take, I'd take it any day of the week, any slight advantage. Um... So that that was that was what made me think. Look, yeah, it's not the hope that kills you. It's not being part of a title race that makes you nervous. This is why we've been here. This is this is what we've been building to. When we got Klopp, and he said, "Look, I'd hope I'd hope that once I'm done here, maybe we've got two or three titles." Which he, in German translation, means just cups. So even one title and one cup, I think Klopp would be delighted with. Uh, it was very much a case of, well, look where we were. Look at everything we've been through, and now we're here. We can't enjoy it. They're saying Liverpool fans are the worst of the bunch, and people that people need to, or teams rather, need to do it on behalf of people everywhere, everywhere across the world. Do do the world a favour and beat Liverpool. They say. Well, in which case, shouldn't we be able to enjoy this? Shouldn't we be able to mm. gluttonize and and feast on our team finally being? kind of the envy of everyone. We've got the best centre-back in the world. We've got one of the best front threes in the world. We've got some of the best tactics in the world, and our coach is the envy of literally everyone else. And why can't we enjoy that? Why can't we just take some sort of pride and enjoyment in that? And that's what I kind of just went, nah, it's not the hope that kills you. Being numb is what kills you. Being football numb is the worst thing in the world because we, no matter how much we we try and diminish it, football does play a part of our lives because it's the modicum, it's a modicum of sense and a modicum of understanding of this world and a modicum of escapism and, and it's just a little part of everything 
that we treasure in life because we can get emotions out of it. We feel happy. We feel sad. We feel camaraderie. We feel we act through this massive team that we'll never really understand. But at the same time, if you lose on the weekends, your week is ruined. <laughs> or at least mine. At least mine is. Uh, and so being able to finally enjoy that to the point where you, yeah, you are the best in the world. That is just something so special and something to treasure so, so much. And it's it's something that's made better, I would argue, by the fact that rival fans and, and really fans across the Premier League, even you know teams like Leicester City and, and Huddersfield, who we mentioned earlier, for some reason, none of them want us to win the league. They're all uniting against us. But in many ways, that makes it more exciting. That means that we should be enjoying ourselves. Because as you say there, we're the envy of the, these teams. These teams do not want to see Liverpool succeed. And it's probably because they'll always say, you know, fans rant, rant about how all the Champions Leagues we've got, but we've not really had a lot of success in the Premier League, especially in the last couple of seasons where, you know, Brendan Rodgers we talked about and, and finishing pretty low down the league for, for a club of Liverpool stature. So right. now really is, you know, a time where people feel threatened as rival fans. So, Carl, would you actually argue as well that, you know, that, causes us to enjoy ourselves more and, and if not we really should be because it shouldn't be an instance where football is only a sport you can enjoy when you win a trophy I know we are Liverpool and I know trophies is what we're aiming for and it's what we should get it's what we should obtain but actually if as Alex said there if you can't enjoy yourself now this season when the hell are you going to enjoy it I, I keep coming back to the same point about people moaning about this season and um, I think it's the end of the world that we draw with Chelsea or we lost to Man City um, I, I wish you the season 1993. I wish that season upon you. Because if you're complaining about this, then my God, you deserve it. 1993 would have blown your head off. Because we were so bad. 2015, I keep coming back to all the time as well, because that was an awful season. Um, that's not a dig at the manager, although I, I've often accused of doing so. But um, lads, we're, we're, 14, we're four points clear ahead of the league. And um, Arsenal came to Liverpool. And when a goal up, <clears throat> and the whole ground was sort of, well, you've had your goal. That's exactly what it felt like, honestly. You've had your goal. Now watch us do this. And then, you know, within five minutes, it was 2-1 up. You've got to enjoy it. Because otherwise, you're never going to enjoy football. It's as simple as this. This is literally as good as it. We are at the moment. In the, as of this day, this is, the, this is the, the best scenario we could have hoped for uh, for the start of the season. We're top of the league. With, 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 with basically with four points in hand uh, and we're in, <clears throat> we're in the Champions League still that's as good as it gets at this stage of the season that is as good as it gets and obviously people are going to worry um, there's, there's always this thing when you know whoever Liverpool play next suddenly they're the best team in the world people are saying oh it's Hodgson you know he's already beaten um, City on their own ground the only man to have done so you know wouldn't it be typical if you can't think like that honestly the best thing about this season for me is I get to see Liverpool play on Saturday, and I cannot wait. That doesn't happen every single year. I always enjoy it. Hasn't, it, it hasn't happened for us yeah. at all. For, yeah. for someone like me, for a millennial Liverpool fan, you don't get to go watch Liverpool and go, right, we are the best. You either got to go watch them and be like, this is one hell of a spine. If we don't win the title with this spine, it's going to be a real shame that happened. We go and we could get a draw here. Yeah. I've, I've literally yeah. been to games where I've thought that we might get a draw out of this. Been to games uh, where a draw against a, an Everton or a Leicester or a, where they're satisfying and they, they should never be satisfying no matter no matter what. Okay, 
extenuating circumstances, you're 3-0 down, you draw 3-3 in the last minute, fine. But they should, those games should never be a satisfaction to just get a point out of. We're now no. at a point where we are an elite footballing team that other people should always be scared of. And there's so much satisfaction in that. Well, that, that's the thing about Chelsea. When you mentioned Chelsea away, the Daniel Sturridge goal, um, I've never celebrated a goal like that in years when that went in. Uh, as I wrote about it at the time, I ended up standing on my mate, and I've still no idea how I managed to do that. Um, <laughs> and you know, we went about, and none of us left that ground thinking, oh, we've got a point out of that. It was because it was basically because they were the better team, and we still didn't lose. And, you know, that's what you celebrate, and obviously because it's Chelsea as well, I suppose. But um, you, you've got to enjoy this because I don't see what else you want at this stage. Se- 73 points clear. I mean, I'll take it. It's not even possible, but, you know, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> the, the, there is nowhere else to go. The, this this is as high as it is. Uh, and not just that. Not just that as well, Carl. It's, there was something that I was, was going to put in the piece, but I didn't end up doing it. I ended up cutting it out. But it was the, the game against Cardiff was so funny because it was like, and the, the way I equated this, because it's like a medieval battle, and there's a massive kingdom being taken on by some some little peasant country, and they send out however many people, and the medieval kingdom, the great, great, greats, sends out this tiny little army. Is like it's okay, you you deal with that, dispatch that, and then the peasant army has the cheek and the nerve to actually to fire it, to draw yeah. blood, to fire a damning shot. And the medieval kingdom just turns around and looks at them and is like, right, fine, you may just bring out the big guns. Go tear them down. Go take them all out. Wipe them out. And it was, there's, there's this sense, even in the national press, of just like, yeah, Carter shouldn't have scored that goal. Because yeah. as soon as they scored that goal, they poked the bear and they copped four. And that's so satisfying to be able to go out and say, yeah, you don't want to score against us, lads. Scoring against us would be the worst thing you could ever do. And that's a mood change. That's something that Klopp has installed in this team. It's it's having the temerity to have a go. How dare you do that? Arsenal scoring after eleven minutes. Okay, fine. God, you're going to regret that. And and, and that that's basically the way it should be. It, it really is exactly. I, yeah, I, never exactly want, right. I never want to support a Liverpool side that sets off a flare of, after ninety five minutes because they think they've got to draw a rival. Phenomenal. That was just phenomenal banter. It really was. Yeah, um, yeah it was fantastic. <laughs> Um, one one thing that I'm curious to sort of compare here, um, God forbid it actually happens, but um, different types of what it is to to suffer as a supporter, because obviously you know we've talked a lot about hopefulness. I mean, let, let's be honest, I think we're all kind of in agreement here. There's absolutely no point in supporting a team like Liverpool if you're not going to enjoy seasons like this one. Absolutely no point. You might as well not bother because you know what's the point in sitting through the other shit if you're not going to enjoy it when you're top of the league, even if you don't win. But um, how would you compare something like a 13-14 season, for example, where we get so close and we have to suffer the agonising ignominy of, of, of losing it versus something like, um, well, let's directly compare it to the following year, 14-15. Obviously, they're different types of suffering. Um, how would you sort of compare those, sort of having a look at, you know, over the course of, you know, which seasons stick out as being worse? Does 13-14 does hurt more? Or is it just that you can't, you know, in the long run, actually, something like, the, almost the not caring is kind of worse. Is that something you guys would sort of agree with, or how would you? What would you be your take on something like that? Well, I I always make this point about the last game of the season, thirteen fourteen against Newcastle, where you know we didn't win the league because City beat West Ham, and the national press and a lot of fans wrote a narrative about Liverpool devastated because they they got close and it didn't happen, and 
not to, if you were at that Newcastle game and if you were in town in Liverpool that night, you, you couldn't you couldn't be more wrong. Liverpool, as a mate of mine said, had its top off that night. Liverpool was nuts the night of that game. There was parties going on in town because we were on the up. That's exactly what I meant. We didn't get there, but we were on the up. This was a big thing. Whereas the next season, a season in which I decided to write a book about Liverpool, which fantastic timing, um, <laughs> was so beige, it was untrue. I know we had a big, long, a long unbeaten run, but we had the Stoke 6-1. We had, the, we had Wembley against Villa, which I still can't begin to understand. And Benteke, right? And yeah. the ultimate Benteke game. Benteke was yeah. skirtle, emblemized in a single microcosm of 90 minutes. Well, where we played three formations in the first 25 minutes and he didn't yeah. strike us on even though there's two on the bench. And then bought, and then bought Benteke. Yeah. And Kieran Richardson ended up in an FA Cup final with Joe Cole. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, that was... Um, that's a base season. I would rather have 2013-14 because I... I will never forget in my life, I've, I've seen a lot of football, I've been to a lot of games, I will never forget what full-time felt like at Cardiff away that season. When Cardiff got two goals, got us got back into the game twice, and I literally saw Luis Suarez take the piss out of the world. And that was just incredible. And you've got to enjoy moments like that, because there's going to be times when Liverpool aren't that good. And to be honest, it's probably going to be more often than not if you've been, you know, if you're as old as Leanne. But, um, You've got to put yourself in a situation where you think, we're here now, my God, I'm going to enjoy this bit. And if, if we fall away like we did, you know, we didn't win the European Cup, and, you know, we didn't win it in 13, 14, you, you've got to be part of the ride. My my favourite memory, for quite, a, I would say probably my favourite memory of supporting Liverpool in probably the last decade, is a, is of the Champions League final. I know a lot of people are, like, really negative about the Champions League final, and a lot of people sort of undermine this, but when Mane scored that equalising goal in the Champions League final, I went absolutely mental. I, I, I imagine it was similar for you guys, you know, that feeling of, we've scored a goal in the Champions League final, lads, we are in a Champions League final, and it's 1-1, and we are banging this game. And, you know, that, that sort of feeling, that's my sort of overriding take of last year. That's actually my overriding take of a game that we lost. That really positive emotion of, lads, like, you know, we're here we're doing this, we're not just, because, I mean, for the first sort of, you know, for quite a portion of that game, it kind of felt like we'd only turned up to lose, but then when we when we scored that goal, there was that, there was that sort of that realisation, we are a football club that is in a Champions League final, that is playing, maybe not playing brilliantly, but playing and sticking in a Champions League final, and we've scored a goal in the Champions League final, and that doesn't happen very often. Against the Harlem Globetrotters. Exactly, you know, against they, the they, team they, they've, that... got, they've got all this talent on the pitch, and we're standing facing them, and we are not backing down. Yeah, it was. It, I got gone for a bit. Yeah, and we obviously, obviously, yeah. didn't end. As, but the thing is, you know, I, I was, you know, I was. We were all a bit devastated after the result. I mean, you know, you're going to be when you lose a game like that. But you know, looking back at it, I think, you know, there's there's so much to be positive about. Um, and I think that, that sort of is going to favour my next my next question. Um, how much hope and positivity do you guys have? Um, that this is a sort of a feeling that can last. You know. Not just beyond, not just even if we don't win the league this season, for example, because this is the kind of thing I think a lot of people are making out that you know this is Liverpool's year. We have to win the league this year. I'm not sure that's right. You know, I, I'm not. If we, you know, what's to stop this team going and doing the same thing next year? And that's a question, you know, to both of you. How hopeful should we be that this is a positivity that can stick about? Well, I mentioned I think... that Newcastle game. Sorry, I've just realised I was going to say no, just, just to mention go. that um, Newcastle game. I did a podcast after that, and people we were saying the same thing. Then people are saying, you know. 
I was saying this is the start, not the end, and then Suarez went, and then we went to shit. But um, we don't have a Suarez-type player. We've got four of them. And and that's the difference, I think. I think he's built something here. He's not just, you know, things just haven't coalesced and we've become a perfect storm where, or, you know, other managers aren't quite ready to win the league and we fell away. I think this is different. This is a squad now. This is a stronger squad than we had in, in 13-14. We had to rely on, um, um, you know, um, Victor Moses coming on in 13-14. With, 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 if, if, if everyone's fit, then you know we don't have to do that. We had Ali Sissoko play. There isn't an Ali Sissoko in this team, John is there? Flanagan That's the thing. Was their John Flanagan was their Flanagan was good. Like, Flanagan was good. Yeah, that was Flanagan. His life. Yeah. But there is no, yeah, it's like, there is no Ali Sissoko in this team. There is no Victor Moses in this team. You know, there is uh, no. There's, there's still a dodgy left back. Make sure guys listening here. Uh, let's not. Yeah, but he's not going to. He's not going to play a single league game this season from now on, unless we unless we've already wrapped the league up or or, or but Robbo gets injured. Right. I hope he scores in the last game. I hope Moreno comes on, scores an absolute cracker. That's his send off, and that's that's and we're already five points clear of City, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and uh, the last game was just his swan song. Imagine if he scored the goal that wins us the league title and Carl has <laughs> oh, to just eat his words. I'm fine. Absolutely fine with that. Yeah, fine. That would be so delightful. We'd never be able to pod again because we'd never we'd never be able to tolerate drink or smug. Oh, me and Guy could have just a celebratory podcast. The Alberto Moreno <laughs> tribute podcast. Let's I'm only doing Nina podcast after that, I'm afraid. <laughs> but, I, uh, guess, I guess the... the... Sorry, 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 carry sorry, on. Sorry, you go. I was no, going to say... Carry on. A, and this is kind of speaking on your behalf to a certain extent. There's something that Carl said there, and Tom asked, posed the, posited the question, which was, as a 21-year-old Liverpool fan who has only ever known really this numb feeling of what if, what could we be? You're trying to sort all of the positives about Liverpool and hope they outweigh the negatives at any any given point. <coughs> Excuse me. And for us, we don't know what glory is. We know that there's a reputation of this club, that we have glory in our veins, but we can't see it. It's hiding beneath the skin. We can't put, we can't extract the blood. We just have to realise that it's there until we get put in a situation where it can actually come to the fore again. And the biggest thing that this season has allowed me to do is look back at 2013-14 when I was in so much pain on at that Crystal Palace game uh, and, and just, just couldn't feel more crushed and put it into context of, yeah, but look what then, then look what happened. You wanted the manager gone. You wanted us to actively lose. You wanted just to find something, just to find anything in this football team that, that showed promise and showed purpose and showed ambition yeah. and showed a direction towards the top, even if you weren't at the top. And now we are at the top, and we are looking at this as a, well, rationality-wise, the, the City are a good team, and this is going to be really nervous, and we can't can't really presume anything. Well, it's just like bollocks to that. Enjoy what we finally are, which is the, the glory, glory, that's, I know that's a United thing, but the glory, 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 this is Liverpool, this is all of us, this is what we're made for. We are top, we are kings of England, we are kings of Europe. We're finally getting to experience that. And for, for me and Leanne, and to, to an extent Tom, uh, and to, for those like millennial Liverpool supporters and those young blood that 
are so vociferous on Twitter and oftentimes us are the first to be fickle because we only understand what pain is. We don't understand what glory is. It's just the most enjoyable feeling in, in the world to finally be here. And we should be, not necessarily that we have to be allowed, but we should be enjoying that to the absolute highest extent. And then to, for the likes of Carl, who has had to go from the most incredible highs to this patch of lows and to, to Hodgson and to, to Jovanovic and Poulsen and to Kincheski. And we're just saying about how, <laughs> how we had Alice Soko at left back in our title challenge. Well, now we've got Andy Robertson, a working class hero, and Alberto Moreno, who I, I know is contentious, but he would be in this Liverpool side under Rodgers. And even if we'd signed a, a backup left back, under Rodgers and under Hodgson, and even the second coming of Dalglish, there would be talk of like, well, shouldn't we give Moreno a game? What would be the worst thing that could happen? Shouldn't we give Joe Allen time in the squad? What's the worst thing that could happen? Shouldn't we give Divock Origi stretches in the squad? I mean, Daniel, Daniel Sturridge is going to break down again. We don't have any other good forwards. What's the worst thing that could happen? And now we are looking at everything Liverpool does with the tinge and the kind of inversion of what's the best thing we could make out of this? What's the best midfield trio we could have to ensure that we have success? What's the best centre-back pairing we could have? What's the best way to get the, to get the best out of Bobby Firmino? And that is the most brilliant of changes because this is what we live for. This is what we're here for. Think we can go all the way, Carl? Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the, manager, <clears throat> the manager said something fantastic. I said this on the underpod last night. He said something absolutely brilliant after the Brighton game. And they said, oh, seven points clear, you know, what does that mean? And he just laughed and went, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. He's not letting it into his head. He's not staring at the table and thinking, Jesus, this is close. It's nothing because it doesn't mean anything yet. Just win your next game. And that's exactly not what he's that's, that's not getting altitude sickness, is he? Yeah, he's, he's very that's, much. That's what we used to breathing. do. Just win your next game. That's what you got to do. Remarkably, actually, um, on that note, you know, Jurgen Klopp not letting up, not letting the, you know, the pressure get to him, not letting the fact that everyone's saying, you know, how good this Man City team is, but actually Liverpool are top of the league. And he's not really let that get to his head. And I think that's kind of testament to his managerial style. It's testament to the kind of the, the club and the players as well. And people like James Milner, who are so important in these times because they've got the experience, they've got the cool and, and calm, collected head. But actually, interestingly, I saw that Jurgen Klopp had actually done a double training session yesterday and, and the players were training last night until late. And I think in itself, that again is a testament of the fact he's not letting things get to him. He's just taking every game as it is, one game at a time. Pep Guardiola said the other day, well, we're Man City, we've just got to do what we'll, we do. We can't control what Liverpool are doing. And Klopp is exactly the same. Yeah, that's exactly right. And And the other thing is, even at Dortmund's, Klopp refused to admit that his Dortmund side, the first time around, um, were champions until it was nearly mathematically guaranteed. They were like, well, this is Bayern Munich we're talking about. They're going to catch us. This is Bayern. Of course they're going to catch us. Well, cool. Yeah, it's, this is Bayern. The cha- champions of Germany are the best team in the world. Of course they're going to catch us. We have to We have to be worrying about getting the next three points, the next three points, the next three points. And there's a quote, I think it's from Nuri Shahin, or it might be Ilkay Gudugan, who's basically like, yeah, we didn't realise we were top of the table until about Feb. And then we went, well, yeah, actually, we're in a good position here. <laughs> and then Klopp, Klopp basically said, right, now you've looked at the top of the table, don't look at it again until 
April, May, when we're mathematically clear, just look at literally who the next person is, who the next person is, who the next person yeah. is. And mm-hmm. that's maturity at a level I don't think many other managers have. Managers will prescribe it and they'll say, of course, we just have to look at the next game. But I don't think many managers can actually back that up the same way that Klopp and Pep both can do. Yeah, I do love his his basically steadfast denial of these questions. He just refuses to answer them and, and basically just changes the, the questions, what he wants to say about this team, taking all the pressure off the players. I'm not saying, um, as you kind of alluded to there, I'm not saying he is the only manager to ever do this in the history of football. Of course not. But he does it so well. and He does it really importantly because it's easy to forget that this is actually still quite a young Liverpool team, a team who are still in transition. Okay, we're, you know, we're witnessing a very good, very promising team at the moment. But there is still development and progression to go. Um, you look at Trent's injury, people were saying how big a loss that is. That is a 20-year-old kid and he is really, really crucial to this team. There's there's so many young players in and around the first eleven who have become really, really big parts of Klopp's project. And I really like the fact that he's taking pressure off them. He's saying, you know, one step at a time, he's leading the way, he's deterring any and all influences from getting to his team and I just hope that we can maintain this momentum and take it hopefully all the way um, but we'll we'll round up there I think so I'll go to plugs unless anyone else has anything to add um, Carl I'll start with you have you got any anything coming out of late uh, no <laughs> I don't think I have actually um, buy my books oh no there is one thing actually um, I wrote a book with Sasha Crowley in 2015 Calls where everywhere us and it's about to go out of print. So if you'd like to buy a copy of that book, it's got lots of um, not just us two. It's got lots of um, writers like Mel Reddy, um, uh, good old Trev Downey, people like that in it. Um, lots of uh, your favourite Liverpool writers are all in there. And uh, it's not about that season. It's about what it is to be a Liverpool fan. So please um, don't buy that from Pitch Publishing. Am I in there then? <laughs> you're, you're far too young. You're far too young. <laughs> Alex, how about you? Um, I've got an article coming out in the next couple of days, probably. Uh, it's supposed to be about versatility and transfer strategy and how Fabinho playing at centre back just shows that we're basically buying uh, Swiss Army knives for players, and that's that's really working for us. Uh, and the only other thing I can think of is go buy Carl's books. Yeah, I'm a big 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 advocate of that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd say that's that's if you get anything out of this podcast, that's the message to be got. That and it's okay to be a bit of a dickhead in the middle of a title race. You're allowed. Take it. <laughs> you're allowed. I'm giving you my clemency. You're allowed to embrace the dickheadedness in the middle of a title race because everyone does. Tom, how about you? Um, yeah, I've got a couple of articles that are either out or on their way out. Um, I've got one on the defence, because I thought it was a bit unfair. A lot of people talk about how, oh, every every time we keep a clean bejew, it's, oh, Virgil van Dijk, oh, Alisson. I think Klopp actually deserves a lot of credit for the way that he's not just bought good players, but the way he's managed them. And I think, you know, you get, I don't think he's necessarily getting enough credit for how the change in formation and the style. And the other one is about how, it's similar, it's very related, it's about how our sort of more defensive style, our, um, the way we go out against a team like Brighton and we just control possession and we grind them down and we don't take too many risks and we play very defensively, how that's really important at this stage in the title race and how we need to be showing that we are a team that is good at actually getting results rather than a team who's just playing nice football. And I think that often actually not playing nice football is the way to get results. Like United did in 96. <laughs> yeah. Like United they, still they, do. Well, they, they won six games in a row, 
between mm. uh, January and March, and that's how they won the league. That's how they got 12 points back on Newcastle. Even 7-8, there is there's, there's the look at, of relentlessness about this Liverpool team that mm. the great United teams that we've had to contend with and that have beaten us over time have uh, really showed. So it's, it's fun to be Liverpool fan. Yeah, it, it definitely is at the moment, and hopefully it all stays positive. Uh, Crystal Palace at the weekend, and hopefully... Roy Hodgson goes away in tears, having done a great job to beat Man City a couple of weeks back. So hopefully he doesn't do the same against us. But we will be back next week. Thank you to Carl and Alex for coming on. And thank you as ever to Tom. And yeah, we'll see you next week. Podcast Network.